I'm sure many of you got to celebrate with family this week. And some of you are here today visiting with us, and we're glad you're here. Some of our church family are visiting others, and we miss them when they're not here with us. Maybe this week we can let them know how missed they are when they're not a part of our service together. You could probably uh, go to the the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be looking at several passages of of Scripture, several verses in Matthew 2. Today we're going to be beginning our Advent season looking into the the Christmas messages and the Christmas sermons. Love this time of year, love preaching these sermons. I look forward to it all year and I appreciate already Christmas music being sung. There's no better music than Christmas music, right? Right, amen, yeah, Christmas music's the best. And so, uh, you know, but there's also a lot of uh, symbols that go along with Christmas. in the secular world, we have a lot of things that we celebrate and look forward to during this time of year. You know, we have big meals, and that's kind of a symbolic thing about this time of year. We also decorate. You know, we have the Christmas tree, uh, a lot of decorations, wreaths, and the greenery and things that go out, the uh, presents. And then we have, of course, Santa Claus and the reindeer and the elves. We have a lot of symbols in, this, in the secular community that represent the Christmas holiday. But as Christians, we also have some symbols that we recognize as part of our Christmas, the Christmas holiday. Um, Doesn't seem like it's as big a deal now. It seems like the world just kind of gave into this. But, you know, there's been times where uh, people have said, oh, don't, don't offend us by saying Merry Christmas. Please say Happy Holidays. Uh, I know after I graduated college, I taught music in the elementary school for a couple of years and I wasn't allowed to do I got a letter from the superintendent you know you can't do a Christmas program you can do a holiday program and uh, you know I had to to make sure that I didn't offend anyone so a few years ago I decided that I was not going to say Merry Christmas anymore I didn't want to offend anybody and so restaurants and places like that I would just say well happy Jesus day and I it seemed to go over much better, much better than Merry Christmas. But, you know, we do have symbols that we celebrate as Christians. It is our holiday that the world has tried to steal from us. Uh, we, of course, have the star. That's our symbol of the, the holiday, the angels. The, the manger scene, we have the nativity of the baby Jesus laid in a manger and the shepherds who came and the wise men who were there. So we have all of these symbols. Uh, music is one of ours. We have this beautiful music that we can celebrate through. And the, this year, I want to pick one of those symbols that we use in our uh, celebration within the Christian family, but the world uses it too. And I'd like for over the next four Sundays, we're going to talk about the Christmas light. The Christmas light. We're going to celebrate the light. Uh, We're going to talk about sharing the light. And today, we're going to be talking about giving the light. And we're going to be talking about one of my favorite uh, group of people in that story that's found in Matthew chapter 2. And that is what we've called the wise men or the magi who traveled in to see Jesus the night of his birth, and we don't know exactly what night. We'll get there a little bit later, talk about when they may have arrived and how they celebrated seeing the Christ. But I want to talk about that light of Jesus, and today we're going to look at giving the light. 
giving the light. You know, as we talk about gifts, as we talk about giving, this is the time of giving. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And when, he, when God gave us this first Christmas, he gave us that gift, the gift of Jesus Christ, who has been the same yesterday. He's the same today, and he will be the same forever. That's a gift. We're, we have that gift today in Jesus Christ. We're here today, still drawn to the light of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years later. He gave us the gift of his word, that we have his word that will never perish. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We have the gift of the word of God. He's given us the gift of the church. I'm very thankful that we still have the church, the gift of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have that gift today. Well, let's keep in mind that those gifts as we study, and we read it a little bit earlier. I'd like to read it again. Let me just start at verse number one of chapter two in the gospel of Matthew. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Um, I had the privilege of going to Israel about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, and, and we went into Bethlehem. Now, if any of you have traveled there or know anything about that country now, you realize that it is under two governmental rules. Uh, there's the Palestinian rule, and then there's the Jewish rule. And uh, there are certain cities. Uh, Jerusalem is divided, but there are other cities that are completely under Jewish governing rules, and then there are some that are completely over Palestinian governing rules. And when I say Palestinian, that mostly means Muslim rule. And Bethlehem is under Palestinian rule. And you're still allowed to enter, and we did get to go into Bethlehem. And one of the, the men that took us, the professor that took us, one of the stores there, uh, he knew this gentleman very well. They were very, very close friends, had been friends for many years. And so whenever uh, this professor that took me would come and bring a group, this gentleman would close his store early, and after everybody would leave, then we could come in. And we pretty much had our own personal shopper with us. We had a, a worker from the store who just followed us around, and when we would ask about something, then they would give us their, the price that he was giving to our group. And uh, I was privileged there. I, one of the things my daughter and I have always kind of celebrated and collected are nativity scenes. And so I was able to get her a nativity scene that was made in Bethlehem. And that's a pretty special one. And I, I wear a ring that I got there at that store. But as we were leaving the store, the gentleman uh, talked. He said, as you leave, you're going to drive around this way. And you're, you're going to see some other events. And you're going to see some places that to us are very, very special that have just been desecrated by the Palestinians here in this town. And we all were wanting to be as thankful as we could for his generosity, but he said, if there's anything you could do for me, go home and tell your churches to pray for Bethlehem. I will never forget the sincerity in his voice as he asked us to pray for the birthplace of Jesus Christ. I try to do that every 
so often. I try to do that every year at Christmas and, and pray for that man and his generosity to us, but also for that city of Bethlehem. Let's think about the Magi. Let's think about as they came. I want to look at them a little bit, and I, I do want to look at some gifts that they brought, but not those gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. I want to look at some gifts that they brought that you and I might be able to do the same thing this year as we give the light of Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Well, the first thing that we look at is that they gave their time. There is no greater gift than you can give to someone than your time. When Rick Warren wrote his multi-billion dollar book, Purpose Driven Life, that's one of the main chapters in it. When you give someone your time, you've given your greatest gift. We are busier now than we've ever been. Now, Duke University did do a study way back in the 60s that said there was going to be uh, an item invented that would be in every home. And when it happens, it will reduce our workload, uh, our stress level, and we're going to have so much time. Their concern was we're going to have so much time on our hands, we won't know what to do with ourselves. And that was going to be the home computer. Now, if anything, we are more stressed and have even less time now that we have those inventions of technology in our life. We're so busy. I, I you know, in, in the school system, I watch some of our families and I, I talk to parents and I'll see, you know, on Monday night, they're at this game and maybe two different ball games. And then Tuesday night, they're taking their kids to this. And then Wednesday night, most of those families, praise the Lord, are in some church and involved in a youth fellowship with their kids. But then Thursday night, they're right back at it. And Friday and Saturday, it is amazing how busy we are. And so when we would take the time and give that to someone else. Now, I don't just mean being present. I mean being focused and attentive and being there with someone. There's been a lot of people that have said, well, I'll come spend some time with you. And, and the whole time, I didn't bring mine up because uh, no way would I bring it up here in the pulpit. But the whole time, it's, they're doing this. You know, and I, I want to say, well, I really enjoyed time with you, I think. You know, I've had a few seniors that have graduated. Hey, I'd like to come back to the school. What, what period do you have free? I'd love to talk with you a little bit. Hey, well, I'm free this period. So they come and they show up and they sit in my room the whole time. Well, you can do that anywhere. If you wanted to come and spend time with me, then turn the thing off and spend some time with me. Now, I'm not against that. I use technology every day and I think it's a blessing from God if it's used in the correct way. Let's be honest. If you're going to give your time, give your time. Husbands and wives, you know what's a great gift you can give this year to each other? Get a calendar and pick out a couple of nights a month to say, that's your night. Let's go out on a date that night. That's for us. Nothing and no one can interrupt that night. We'll leave, we'll leave our phones at home. It's you and me. And I'm going to be focused and attentive to you that night. It's our night. Now, all the wives in here are like, yes, preach it. And all the guys in here are like, thanks, pastor. <laughs> Give of your time. Young people, write a card to your parents or maybe even greater than that, your grandparents. And say, I want to come and just spend some time with you. And when you go, spend time. Learn about them. 
Put your phone away, put everything else away and be attentive and receptive and focused to give that time to someone else. One of the best gifts you could give this Christmas is your time. These magi gave of their time. There's a lot of things we don't know about the magi. We don't know where they were from. Well, actually, we kind of do. We sang about it. They're from the Orient. We three kings of Orient, right? They've got to be Chinese, right? Because they're from the, we know that. It's got to be true. We have no clue other than they were from the East. That's all the Bible tells us. And the Magi from the East, they came seeking this king. We really don't know where they were from. Now, a lot of people speculate, historians, theologians think that it could have been from Asia, could have been from what we now know as Iraq and that area, uh, that area being a very wealthy area during the days of Jesus' birth and these men being very knowledgeable and wise and educated would have been sought after to have lived in that area because those people would have had money to have paid them to educate them and their children. So they could have been from that area. But all we really know is that they traveled from the east. We don't even know really how long they traveled. There's speculation that they could have traveled for years, could have been months, weeks. We, we really don't know. Uh, back to my time there when I was in Israel, uh, we had the privilege of meeting with a man that teaches at the University of Jerusalem, and he teaches Hebrew tradition. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that he taught that day was how they talk about travel. And he says, when you're reading your Bible and you see things where it says, and they were on a three-day journey, that really means that it could be anywhere from one to three days. So somebody says, well, it's a three-day journey. They may show up tomorrow because that three-day journey means anything up to three days. And then a five-day journey meant four or five days. And a seven-day meant six or seven, up to ten, meaning eight to ten-day journey. Now, when you got over ten days, they, they would change that a little bit because on the tenth day, uh, over ten days, they would name a city. They'd be traveling from Rome. So the person kind of knew about the approximate time that the person might arrive because they were traveling from a specific city. And then when it got over to over 20 days, you would name a region. Uh, they're traveling from the Mediterranean. And so it'd just be a region. It could be more than 20, but nobody really knows how much more. And when you reach that 40-day mark, you, you named a direction. They're traveling from the east. So with that in mind, as a Hebrew tradition... It had to at least take 40 days, at least. But it could have been up to a year or even more that these men traveled. They willingly gave that time to come and see this king who was born in Bethlehem. The best Christmas gift you can give really doesn't cost you anything. Give your time. Give of yourself, sacrifice yourself, sacrifice your things and give of your time. Well, secondly, the thing that they gave that I'd like to look at, 
does have to do with those gifts that we always read about in the Bible, and that is that they gave their possessions. We know that they gave three gifts. Now, one of the things we, we always attribute to that, we always say there are three wise men or three magi. We really don't know that for sure. Um, we, I really doubt that. There's actually scripture that tells us that's probably not the case. But we attribute it because there were three gifts. Uh, if you'll remember, when they were traveling, they had to go through Jerusalem. And there's the scripture that says, as their uh, caravan entered Jerusalem, it was so large that the city took note of it. So obviously there was more than three. Uh, obviously there was a large group, a large caravan of these men traveling and servants that were traveling with them. But of course they did bring three gifts. And, and those gifts, there's three things about each of those gifts that I think are important. They were all expensive, very expensive. They were all symbolic and they were all practical. They were very practical gifts. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 11, it says, the Bible, Bible says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and myrrh. And, of course, the King James Version calls that incense frankincense, which was a type of incense. Well, these were very expensive gifts. They were gifts that only could be afforded by those who were wealthy. Gold. The common people never even saw gold. Not in jewelry, not in anything. You had to be a king or someone of great wealth to have even seen gold in your lifetime. So the fact that they were bringing this gold and offering it to this king showed of their great wealth, but it also showed of their willingness to take from their blessing of their great wealth and give it to Jesus, to give it to this king. The second was this incense, a very expensive incense, frankincense, one that only wealthy people could afford, and then also the myrrh. Myrrh was be reserved for a specific reason, not something you would buy because, one, you couldn't afford it, and, two, it was for a specific reason, which we'll get to in just a moment. Three very, very expensive gifts. Yeah, this week, as I was looking, thinking about this sermon and thinking about this part of it, this was one of those times I kept saying, Lord, can't we just kind of skip on past that part? You know, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything. And the Lord just kept bringing it back and bringing it back to my attention. I know that there are many, many, many of us in this room who we struggle we're not wealthy. We're not people who can just go do whatever we want to do at any time. That's not our life. I also know there are probably some of you who've done very well for yourselves and made yourselves very comfortable now. I believe that when we give, we ought to remember how we've been blessed first. Think of how you've been blessed to be a blessing to someone else. When I was in college, I was with a singing group, and we would travel and sing, and we'd be in churches every night of the week. And some of the, most of those churches were very small churches, 50 to 60 people. And a couple of things that I found. A 50-member church, you could schedule a college singing group to come in, and we weren't very good. 
but we were college kids, and we were giving up our summer to come and sing, about 98% of that 50 or 60 people will show up to hear you and support you. But on the nights where we would show up at churches where it would be a 200 to 300 member church, we would still have about 50 to 60 people show up to, to see us. But more than that, we would take a love offering. That's how we supported that ministry. And I would find that that 50 or 60 member church every time outgave the 300 member church. And I shared that with one of the pastors of one of those small churches because he felt bad when he handed me the check. I said, I, mean, I just got to tell you something. I'm going to tell you what church. But we sang at a church of 300 last night, and they gave us less than this. And he had a philosophy behind it. And I think this is true. He said, well, see, when you pastor in a 50 to 60 member church, those people know if I don't give, we won't be able to make it. Every person in the church realizes their importance of being a part of the giving. The 300 member church, most of them think, oh, there's so many here. They don't need my little bit. And so most of them don't. So you have about the same amount of people giving the same amount. And I'm not only saw that true traveling in a singing group, I saw that as a pastor. Many of us sitting in this room have been very, very blessed. And we ought to be a blessing to others. Let us give expensively if we can. I preached this one time and this same kind of little thought. And uh, after church, this father gave his daughter a really, really nice, expensive gift. He was traveling, visiting. It was his only Sunday there. And so um, next Christmas, she said, hey, dad's going to be there again. Can you preach on that expensive part again? You know. <laughs> You've been blessed. Be a blessing to someone else. Be a blessing. Well, they were symbolic gifts. The gold. Mary and Joseph were a very poor family. They didn't have much. They didn't have a lot to do. They, they came from a very poor family, poor background, poor city, poor environment. They needed those funds, and they were going to need them in the days ahead because the Bible tells us that, that when the wise men arrived and they gave of their gifts later, Joseph was awakened in a dream. And he was warned that Herod had decreed that all the infants would be killed. And so he was to escape to Egypt. How do you think they financed that trip? How do you think they got there? How do you think they lived there? Well, because there was a magi who was prompted by the Holy Spirit of God to take gold as a gift. The frankincense is symbolic. All the way back in the Old Testament when the first tabernacles were set up, the priests would build the fire and he would pour the incense on the fire and it would be a pleasing aroma to God. Here was this magi coming, offering this incense to the great high priest as a pleasing aroma to him. And then myrrh, as I said, was designated for one simple thing and that was embalming. It was used to take, to really overpower the stench of death. The Bible tells us that Nicodemus 
had taken myrrh and other spices to go and anoint the body of Jesus after he had died. So it was symbolic, telling us, this King of kings, this Lord of lords, came to this earth for one reason, and that was to die for you and me. They were symbolic. And they were also just very practical. They needed those things. They needed them. How many gifts have you gotten that just you didn't need? As we give, give the most expensive thing you can find, a king, a king of all kings, the Lord of lords. Give the light of Jesus Christ. Give a symbolic gift. Give the gift of Jesus who has come and given his everything for you, becoming our high priest, becoming the greatest prophet of all, becoming the king of kings for you and me. Give Jesus. And there's nothing more practical than saying, I want to give you a gift that will save you, not now, but for all eternity, and give you the most abundant life that you can live on this earth. Can't think of anything more practical than that. Give the gift of Jesus. These wise men brought these gifts they gave their treasures. And lastly, they gave their praise. The Bible says in verse 11, coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. They bowed down and they worshiped him. Again, we really don't know what they were thinking on the way. Uh, by biblical record, we think they're looking for a king. They want to come and, and give their gifts and celebrate this king. But I believe when they were there, something else happened and they realized this king is like no other. And they couldn't just give gifts. They had to bow down and worship because they knew they were in the presence of God. Give your praise. And I want to encourage you to give praise two ways this year. Above and beyond all, praise Jesus like you've never praised him before this Christmas season. To me, this is the answer to every problem we have in the world today. That the church would be the church and that we would be people who trust and believe in Jesus Christ and the world would see us actively praising him in the mess that this world is in. You know, I watch students. I have a study hall and I watch students and, and math seems to be the one. I can tell you by walking into a classroom which student knows math because 10 other students are hovered around them or her, looking for the answer. I believe this is the opportunity for the light of Jesus to shine so brightly in believers that the world ought to be hovered around every single one of us looking because we have the answer. To everything. We have the answer. And yet, We've pulled ourselves so far away. Tom, man, I cannot thank you enough for what you shared during your time of meditation this morning. It's a choice that we have to make. 
a choice not only to accept Jesus, but to claim him as king of king and then walk that way, repent and walk that way so that he's the Lord of lords. So many people want Jesus to be their savior, but they really don't want him to be their Lord. Save me, but I don't want you to rule over me. Oh, that we would worship and bow down before Jesus, the, the very son of God, God himself in the form of man, that we would worship him like these magi did. We might worship him that way. Another way that I think we can show our praise is by how, by how we treat other people. I think it is our job to affirm and encourage one another. There are 35 one another principles in the Bible that tells me they must be important. Love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, even admonish or correct if need be one another, encourage one another. 35 principles that we ought to be living in one another. Think about Mary. She's done everything right. Now, all she knows at that point in her life is how to be a good young Jewish girl. She's got the Old Testament. She's got the synagogue. So dad's coming home, teaching her what she should be doing to be the right kind of young Jewish lady. And she's doing it. The Bible tells us, the angel says, you are highly favored, you're blessed. She's done everything right. And when this angel comes to her, now she's probably already feeling pretty good because Joseph's already come. He's talked to dad. This guy, you know, this carpenter in town, he wants to marry me. So she's probably feeling pretty good about life. And then this angel comes and makes this announcement. You, you are going to bear the son of God. And of course, there was questions first. How can this be? I'm a virgin. I've, I don't know how that's going to happen. But then you've got to think, for a moment, she had to be on cloud nine. That God would choose me. And then a half a millisecond later, reality sets in. That didn't last very long. Oh, what will everybody say? What, what will they think? But in praise to Jesus, I, I think this was a way of this woman giving praise to the Lord. Elizabeth affirms and reaffirms Mary and builds her back up. When Mary goes to visit, Elizabeth, you remember, she's carrying John the Baptist, and John leaps in her womb when he's in the presence of Mary carrying Jesus. I've always thought this was interesting. Uh, that isn't it odd that the the very first human, very first human that Jesus caused to have some praise effect in was an unborn baby. And so Elizabeth reaffirms, and Mary's feeling good. She's flying high, and a millisecond later, oh, but I'm going to start showing, and people are going to talk, and what will Joseph think? So she goes home, and then Joseph's there, and, and I'm sure he did think. But the angel comes to him, and what does he do? He reaffirms Mary. He goes, I believe you. The angel has come to me. This is, and so now it's all good again and everybody's feeling great. And now we get to go to Bethlehem just in time for Christmas. 
Probably not. Probably didn't feel too great about it. Where will we get the money to go on this trip? How am I going to make this trip? By the way, my family pushed back. They, they like to push back on me on this. I do not believe that Mary rode a donkey to Bethlehem. I mean, I've got some carpenters and woodworkers in here, right? People who've built things. All right, if, if you knew the only way that I can get my, my wife somewhere who's pregnant, and I, you know, I mean, we don't have the modern technologies of today, and I've got a donkey, wouldn't I go to my wood shop and build some kind of cart and have my donkey pull the cart? Or I'd go to my, you know, and pull all the stuff that I have on my cart where I do jobs and say, Mary, this is what you'll write. Of course he would have. Now, I know I'm probably going to get to heaven and Joseph's going to come up to me and say, you idiot, she rode a donkey the whole way. I don't care. That's fine. This is my belief and I'm sticking to it. Right? But they get there. No matter what it was, it's going to be a rough, hard, long road. But now she gets there. She's feeling good. That all is over and it's done. I'm feeling good about things. And uh-oh, I'm in labor. And uh-oh, we don't have a room. Realize that when they say they didn't have a room, not only does that mean the inns didn't have room, that also means that every family member living in that town has rejected them as well. Maybe word got to them about Mary's pregnancy. We don't want her in our home. I could say that Mary was probably feeling pretty down. And then these shepherds show up. And they reaffirm her and encourage her. And then these wealthy magi come and they reaffirm her and encourage her. So much to the point that we have a song in the Bible where Mary pondered all these things in her heart and it's called the Magnificat where she sings. I believe that when you as a brother or sister in Jesus Christ go and encourage and reaffirm someone else, you are praising Jesus Christ in it. I believe we bring a smile to our Lord's face when he sees us really being what we're supposed to be. That we love one another and encourage one another and pray for one another and lift each other up, comforting one another. When we do these things, we're giving praise to the Lord. So praise to Jesus, but also affirm others. In 1898, there was a really interesting book written by a man named Henry Van Dyke. Henry Van Dyke's a fictional writer, uh, some great, great books that he's written. And um, that, it was called The Other Wise Man. Is anybody familiar with the book The Other Wise Man? They even made a film about it um, in the early 80s. Very cheesy, but it's still fun. Abby, you saw it, I know, because I showed it in my classroom. Uh, but it's still, it's a great story. Uh, the Other Wise Man portrays a magi who is a medical physician. And he has been studying about this king who's to be born all of his life. And his greatest desire in life is, I want to meet that king. He's supposed to change the world. I want to meet that king. And so when the star appears, he realizes this is it. And so this wealthy medical physician sells Everything he owns, every possession that he has, he sells, even his home. And he gets one servant to travel with him. And he already knows these other magi are traveling and they've set up a meeting point, a spot where they will meet in so many days and travel together to meet this king. 
And with the money that he gets from selling everything, he buys a sapphire, a ruby, and a pearl. Now, in biblical times, the pearl was the diamond of our day. Uh, the pearl was the most priceless jewel you could purchase. It was very uh, sought after. It was the one to have. And he, he buys this pearl. Well, as they're traveling the first few days in, they come across the man that's been beaten. And he's dying. Being a medical physician, he cannot pass him up. So they set up camp. And he begins to heal this man. He begins to mend his wounds. And he's broken bones. And giving medications that he has. And then the servant tells him, Master, we've been here for days and days. You're going to miss the others. But he still stays until the man is able to get back into a city. And then he takes the sapphire. And he gives it to an innkeeper and he says, you take care of him. Very much the prodigal son story. You know? Take care of this man. There's what you can use to pay. And they leave. Well, then they get to the meeting point and the others have already left. And so he begins to ask around where the meeting point was. Others who were there, where did they go? And he, gets, he finds out they went to Bethlehem. And so they start their journey to Bethlehem, but they're too late. As a matter of fact, they enter Bethlehem on the very night that Herod's men have come in and are killing all of the infants. And so there's devastation and destruction happening in the city. And by chance, they happen to slip into a stable to hide. And there's a woman there with a baby. And he thinks, are you her? And she says, no, I came in here to hide. But there was another woman and a baby here just a few days ago. And they've headed to Egypt. And she's trying to get out of town. And she says her family is just on the outskirts, but she can't reach them. And so he takes out the ruby. And he pays off one of the soldiers to allow her to escape town so that she can get to her family and save her child. Finally, he's making his way, he's still searching years and years and years past. As they're headed into Jerusalem one day, they're attacked by a leper and then taken into a leper colony. And as they're there, then one finds out this is a medical physician and maybe, just maybe, he can help us. And so he basically says, I'll never see the king and just begins to live there among the lepers and helping them in any way he can. After years have gone by, the servant just happened to be in the city of Jerusalem one day, and he came running home to tell his master, Master, there's a man. He's innocent of all wrongdoing, and yet he's been found guilty. And they're going to crucify him today. And someone told me, he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Maybe, just maybe, it's the man you've searched for. And so, being very ill himself at this point and broken and elderly, he can barely make it into the city. He knows my, not days, but my hours are numbered now. I'm not going to live long. And then he gets into the city and he sees these men beating a young lady. They're trying to take her and and keep her captive, make her a slave in a sex trafficking. And he looks in his bag and he only has the pearl left. And he buys the girl's freedom with that pearl. 
Immediately there is an earthquake and Jesus has died. He goes off sad. I never got to see the king. And as he's on the outside of the city, a man glowing like the sun comes. And he looks and he says, oh, my Lord. And we hear the scripture, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the little. Now enter into your reward. And the man dies. He gave everything he had, including his worship. He gave all of his time. He spent his life searching for the king. He was never willing to give up. He gave all of his treasure, and he gave his worship. As we enter this Christmas season, will you? Will you give the light of Jesus Will you give the light of Christmas, Jesus Christ himself? Will you give him your time? Will you give others your time? Will you give of your treasure? Take an evaluation. How has the Lord blessed me? Now, how can I bless someone else? Will you give him your worship? Will you give him your praise? Will you stand with me and let me pray for you? Jesus, we can't imagine what it would be like to have been there then. And all of us in this room would probably say, I would love to have been there. I would have been one of those shepherds. I would have been one of those magi who would have come, who would have done everything, sacrificed everything to come and see the Christ child. And yet, as we say that, we don't even seek you in our daily lives today. Oh, Lord, that we would seek the light of Jesus today that we would seek out ways to show that light and give that light to others in our life. Oh, let the Spirit of God come upon us like it did with those magi, that when they saw Jesus, they realized this is not just a king that we have come to see. It is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. It is God himself who has come to earth and that we might worship you, that we might pray in that spirit to know, Lord, what is it you want us to do? Prompt us in how we should give that light to others. Those magi left telling others about Jesus. Those shepherds left telling others about Jesus. All that we might give the light. Let us give of our time. Let us give of our treasures as you have blessed us. And let us give of our worship and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope the Lord richly blesses you this week. I hope that you have a great time finishing out this Thanksgiving weekend and beginning this Advent season. Let me encourage you to find some type of Advent devotional. There's a lot of great ones online. Um, I can lead you that direction if you need that you can do with your family every night of the week uh, until the Christmas night. And that's just a great thing to do as a family and try to do that as a family together. Uh, just look up Advent uh, devotionals and they'll be right there for you. Or again, I can help you find some of those and I've got some that I can share with you. I hope the Lord blesses you. Hope you have a great week. God bless you.